I think towards the end of the year, I do remember filming a TV show and going, I actually just can't do this anymore. I can't, I can't basically do the things that make me who I am. My guest today is Donald Skihan, an Irish cook, TV host, and an award-winning food writer. His TV shows have aired in over 40 countries worldwide, and he is a regular host on BBC One's Saturday Kitchen, as well as hosting regular cooking slots on ITV's This Morning and NBC's Today in the USA. Known for his easy, accessible home cooking style, he's written over 10 cookbooks and has a popular YouTube channel, which has received more than 45 million views with more than 1 million subscribers. A Dublin native, Donal currently lives in his new cottage in Hoth, North Dublin, with his wife Sophie and their two children, Noah and Oliver. Donal, you are very welcome to the number. Thank you very much. And I was thinking driving out here, actually, the last time we bumped into each other was not so long ago. No. At a very top secret audition. I was just going to go, <laughs> what, what was that now, Darren? <laughs> yes, at a top secret audition. I know. Yeah, yeah. We How were was pitted against each other. We were, we were. I'm like, should we say what it was? Can we, we say what it was? We can. Yeah. It's a done deal now. It neither of us got deal. it. Yeah, neither of us got the gig, but uh, Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars. Yeah. yeah to be I'm the... pretty sure we signed a non-disclosure Did we? Ah, we signed something, but look, do you know what? Yeah. The, the gig's up, you it's know. It's a done deal. Yeah. <laughs> they always wanted a woman. They wanted to know what we were doing there at all, like for feck's sake. Okay, let's crunch the numbers. You okay. ready? Yeah. Okay, so what's a meaningful number for you in your family? Um, well, I suppose November 23rd okay. is a specific date that always come, we come back to because both randomly, this, this shouldn't uh, tell much about our sex life, but <laughs> November 23rd is the same date that both our boys had a due date. Um, yeah, so Noah and Oliver were born um, two years gap but they both had the same due date and they were born within three days of each other oh, so, uh, so they're both Sagittarius yeah so we had a good Valentine's Day uh, <laughs> oh is that, is that nine months in? I is? don't know I don't know oh my god it actually is but yes but that aside the t- November 23rd <laughs> holds a special meaning in our in our house because it was it was this thing and we could not believe that we'd got the same due date I know Jesus don't don't think too deeply into not, it <laughs> I had not joined those dots I'm like okay right. just Avoid, for anyone out there yeah. jo- Joining those dots. <laughs> February 14th. Yeah, February 14th. Yeah, don't. That's so interesting. Yeah. So they were both born uh, two years. They were both born in the States as well. So we were, they were born in Huntington Hospital in Pasadena. And again, you know, it was the start of another chapter for us. You know, Sophie and I had been together since we were, I think, 19, 18, 19. So we met in 2006. And there has always been that thing that we, we wanted kids. And then we kind of, we were busy with work in our 20s. And then... I think when we moved to LA, there was a lot of um, there was a lot of moments of kind of going, "What do we want?" Because we had moved, we'd we'd worked so hard in building what I w- what I was doing, and then we got to LA, and it was kind of like, "Ooh, we can breathe again." And in lots of ways, that's how kind of we informed how we wanted the next cup, next chapter to go. And so I, I think it was inevitable that the kids were going to come when we when we got to that stage. And it was just after we'd got married, and um, quite brave to have kids in a like a foreign land to you both. Yeah. Yeah, well, I think like we had full intentions to be in LA for the rest of our lives. We didn't know that 
we, you know, we didn't, we didn't go out thinking we're going to go here for, you know, the next three years and then move back. We always kind of thought if this works out, if this is something that, you know, we really love, we will potentially commit to it. Um, and we did, like we committed five years of our life to, to Los Angeles and, and had an amazing time. But yeah, I think that, that November 23rd, it's, it's wrapped up in a lot of, you know, what, what the boys kind of came out of, you know, and even like what you said, you know, having them over there was a scary thing. You know, we did not have the support system uh, we had. The healthcare system or the, so expensive. Yeah, and the healthcare was like, we got quoted, <laughs> we got quoted something I think we got quoted like 26 grand to have to literally have a child in a hospital in America and we uh, oh god I'm gonna tell it all but now we had um, we were still on um, <laughs> VHI tra- travel care <laughs> so so like even that was this insane thing and stressful thing on the day Noah was born I was I'm oh, sorry on the before Noah was born the hospital were were ringing our room saying can you come down and sort out payment because they didn't they, they didn't trust it. it was so so what did you do did you have to pay for it we ended up we ended up only paying like seven grand out of it because the insurance got covered from that and the fact that we weren't on whatever American Medicare. system yeah, yeah Medicare so it was less but it was still like a significant chunk of money and so if you have a baby here it's free I'm presuming or it's not I think it's like a, a grand or something okay. for, the, for your hospital fees or something like that but overall overall it was this like highly stressful thing was like are we going to be stumped with this 26 grand bill uh, and the fear of that and like not knowing if we'd be able to pay like just so we were doing a home birth yeah. uh, Darren <laughs> she was in and out of that hospital <laughs> for one day and no more I see Donald buying a paddling pool we're going to do a hypnobirth at you, home there was an option yeah. it, and it, YouTube video <laughs> okay it says breathe here <laughs> she'd be in the slow cooker I know Jesus she'd be killing me um, but no it was that like wow. it was so wrapped up in the stress of that even going for all the um, the G or G I can't remember the doctor's, what appointments. The doctor's yeah. appointments and all of that was wrapped up in this like Jesus how much are we paying and how much are we doing this so there was a lot of fear and like all of that probably wouldn't have been the case had we been having them back home and you know the support system of people who had experienced the same thing so yeah it was very scary like we hear a lot obviously about motherhood mm. and women share stories and it's very difficult obviously and the woman has the baby mm. as a dad and a dad of two young boys I mean what's what's been the trickiest part for you adjusting to new life and adjusting to a new pace of life I think was definitely the most difficult and I think no one really prepares you for it and no matter how much you might prepare your mind for it nothing change nothing prepares you for that day when you bring them home from the hospital and from literally that moment on your entire world is to look after their needs and to sort them out and to you know fix whatever they need and I found that as a very selfish uh, (laughs) young man who you know was career driven and you know loved going to yoga doing things that like you know were very fulfilling for me. Are you the youngest child in your family? I'm the eldest. Oh okay. (laughs) Always in control. (laughs) So I found it really hard to kind of give up that control to this tiny little baby who you know who was dictating our life essentially and and I think it's a very few people talk about it particularly dads I think dads don't you know we and obviously you know for for good reason we hear you know a lot of the mum stories but you know for dads there's very little kind of talked about how how you adjust your world to this new new being in your life and and I look I I think um for a lot of people it is a really hard time and oftentimes it's you know we're we're caught up in the the loveliness and there is so many magic moments and lovely moments but I actually would say that there's 
many, many difficult moments in it as well. I've <laughs> one or two friends who are very honest about being yeah, yeah. and and I'm always I, I always love to hear it just because it's I feel like it's real. Yeah. And you know, as someone who has had an amazing career, you've traveled all over the world, you've mm. done you've done everything and you're achieving the things you want to achieve. Yeah. All of a sudden I'm presuming a baby comes into the fold. How does that affect your perspective on what's important in life? And those goals, because I presume the ambition doesn't disappear. No, the ambition is is always there. I think you have to put it in the back seat for a little bit while you kind of piece together what life is going to be with a new a new child or, you know, a, as, as a parent, essentially. And I think you're like I said, your perspective does change. Like I remember when Noah was first born and we were still in L.A. and I was doing these like I had this crazy schedule at one point where I was back to London for Saturday Kitchen. I was promoting a book in Amsterdam and then I had to fly to Singapore and we did a whole Asian tour to promote the television show. So we were, it was madness. And and I remember at one point I was in, I was in Singapore and we were, and Sophie couldn't get Noah to sleep. And the go-to thing was that I would sing him to sleep because he would go, he would go to sleep when he'd hear me singing. That sounds really wholesome, but... But, uh, but that was the thing and I remember, do whatever works uh, literally Sophie was at the point, breaking point I was like however many miles away and I was singing down the. I found a corner out of a cooking class that I was doing for a group of Singaporean people who were there to see meal, total skins meals a minute and I was in the corner like in our little break moment singing down the phone to Noah in a cot and going what the fuck am I doing like this is ridiculous this isn't this isn't necessarily the best thing for all of us and I I felt the strain of that I really felt the strain of being away from family I felt the strain of not the the work that I was doing not necessarily being beneficial as it was because I loved the running around and doing tv shows and doing these travel logs they were amazing experiences to have but when they kind of when when missing out on home life and missing out on stages. And I remember like, I think I was presenting Saturday Kitchen and I missed one of the birthdays and I was like, that's it. I'm not going to do that again. That just felt terrible. That really felt bad. Okay, what's the number that changed everything for you in your career? So I think the number that changed it for me was 1,000. I got offered uh, after writing a food blog for about two years at the time food blogs were taking off, which I was only one of maybe a handful of other food blogs in Ireland at the time. And I had just won best food blog in Ireland and I got offered to write a cookbook. And I thought, Jesus, now this is this is the start of it. it. I've made it. And then the contract came through and it was for a thousand euro, (laughs) which I will tell you back in the back in the day, like getting a thousand euro, you know, when you're on your your, you weren't getting that for writing the blog. Exactly. And I was getting nothing for writing the blog. So I got offered uh, this book deal for a thousand euro, a hundred recipes, photograph, write the recipes, test the recipes, write the book and had no idea what I was doing. And it took me about two years to do blood, sweat, tears, the whole nine yards. And, you know, looking back, it is a small fee that you like now you get you get your advance and then you get royalties for the books that you write. But, you know, I had no, no no idea, no experience of that, but I knew I wanted to write a book and I knew I wanted to take the opportunity when it came my way. It has led to all the things I do today. It has been... 10 this, books in. Exactly. Like, and, and I remember even back then writing, I've always been a big proponent of writing down your goals and writing down the things you want to achieve and checking in with them on a you know monthly, weekly, daily, yearly basis and kind of going, is are we closer to where, we're, where I wanted to go? And I had, I, at one point I did have 10 cookbooks written on 
on my serious. on my thing. And to have achieved that, like, although you kind of get a little more jaded as you get older, you know, it's still an, an amazing moment to kind of look back that you had that vision to kind of do that and and to do it with purpose, not just because it's 10 cookbooks, but mm. to do it and, and find intention. that intention with it, you know. And so was that like a vision board that you would do essentially? Definitely. A uh, vision board was a big thing. I came to that very early on. Mm. And um, I think, you know, even taking the opportunity and the chance on and to me it wasn't like 1000 euro was was an amazing deal back then yeah. to me because like when you were what 20 odd absolutely yeah. yeah so uh, you know a check for a thousand euro was an amazing opportunity and um but yeah that's what really kind of changed things and and i wouldn't i think going back on it i wouldn't have turned it down i wouldn't turn it back wouldn't then. Change it. yeah when it comes to love yeah. what's your number so my lucky love number uh probably the, well it's more of a date uh, so it's the September the 5th, 2000, 2006. And that's when uh, my first kiss with Sophie was. Oh. <laughs> Which is the start of it all, really. So set the scene. How did you and Sophie get to even that point? That point, well, so... I always, we always we both struggle with explaining this story because... Um, Were you drunk? Well, there was, <laughs> there was a few drinks involved, <laughs> for sure. But the story and goes... Judge courage. Judge courage from an Irishman, from an Irishman yeah. to a Swede. But uh, we were both very much kind of I think we were about 19 or 18 even and Sophie was visiting her friend she was Swedish half Swedish half Irish she her grandmother lived on the road that I grew up on and Sophie was visiting staying with them so all of a sudden my my three doors down there was two Swedish women (laughs) so I was very excited about that summer and um, it, it was great and so it was at that time where, you know, it was, you know, with your pals around that age, you're going out drinking and you're, you know, there was a great social life at that stage. And um, Sophie came out on one of the nights with her friends um, and they they joined us with whatever we were doing. And we went to the Casa Pasta, which was the restaurant at the time, um, which was like our childhood restaurant. The Casa Pasta down in Hoth was like the best place. For quesadillas, chicken wings, and they did a good Caesar salad as well. Yum. Yeah. <laughs> Such a pity it's not there anymore. Um, um, but yeah, so that was it. We had, uh, there was a birthday party there for our friend Kate and they, uh, they, they arrived down, two Swedish people. I remember meeting Sophie at the top of the stairs and I had been in the boy band <laughs> with the Swedish, one of the members was Swedish. So I had this like, I had this great level of Swedish that I'd learned from him. And when I met Sophie for the first time, I was like, hey, how do you do? And speaking my very bad, but decent enough Swedish. But still impressive. impressive. She wasn't expecting it, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, very few Irish people would be uh, throwing a few Swedish words around. And um, yeah, so that was it. And then we went, we headed over and um, it was actually the next night. It was a back to school night. And Sophie was in a Britney Spears style. Uh... Oh, it was like a themed night. <laughs> it I think it was a Sunday. No, it was back like, no, no, no. Uh, back to oh, school okay. like ties, shirts and like so mini skirts. She was kind of Britney Swedish, Spears, Britney. Swedish Britney. So oh that was what did it. <laughs> and so that's the night you sealed the that's deal. The night, the, yeah, sealed the, sealed the Swedish deal. <laughs> and then actually, the you know, the story went that uh, she went back home and I was like, OK, well, that's the end of that. And then we actually kept in contact and I subsequently went over to Sweden, followed her Sweden. We both got a job in a restaurant and I worked in the kitchen. She worked as a waitress. And after that, she came home with me to Ireland. And, you know, we've been back and forth to Sweden for the last nearly, she reminded me of this last night, is nearly 18 years. Wow. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite on. a love story. Yeah, I think when, when you add time to something like that, it really does kind of go, Jesus, we've been doing this a while. Was we? there a moment <laughs> when you knew? She I think the there was a moment. Yeah, well, I, well, I, she hates when I tell this story, but basically we were in the throes of 
filming a, a Christmas special in Rovaniemi in the north of, is it Finland or Sweden? Anyway, it's up, up Lapland uh, where area I was um, filming this Christmas special for RT and Sophie at that stage was work, we were working together. And romantically. And together. romantically together. Okay. And um, so we'd been doing that for a while, but I always laugh because there was a moment where I was like broken. I'd made fudge in minus 20 degrees and like the thing was sticking, the bottom of the thing was burnt. The, we were still filming in minus degrees at like 11 o'clock at night, having got up at seven o'clock in the morning. I was broken. And Sophie was in the bathtub scrubbing away the pots that we'd been making this fudge in. And I was like, Sophie, that's the moment. I knew, <laughs> I knew we were going to be together forever. If she was willing to be on her hands and knees scrubbing a pot in a bathroom while I cried myself to sleep. <laughs> I was like, this is the, this is the girl for me. She's a match. She's a match. She's amazing. She is amazing, yeah. Now, we kind of touched on this next one a little bit, mm. but what does age mean to you? And are there any ages in particular that were very significant in your life? So for me, 23 is what I come back to. And it is kind of that, what we've talked about before. It was a real moment of fork in the road kind of moment for me because 23 I had released a cookbook I had been in this band so we talked about the boy band but actually there was the band after yeah I was like but hold on wasn't Michelle in the band and you were saying boy band so you were in two bands yeah okay there was a first band and there was a second band and in the middle I actually did some proper normal work (laughs) and in the middle uh you know it was it was actually formulating the success of the second band so we uh we put together industry which was my uh second band and it was two guys two girls uh Michelle McGrath Lee Hutton and Morgan Dean and we we had like we had a really great go at it. You, you great know? success. We had great success yeah, in a top. very short uh, mm. period of time. We had uh, two Irish number ones, and we've recorded uh, some great songs. Some we have the bones of an album that never never got released, but like brilliant. I listened to them back, and I, I may be biased, but I think they're fucking great songs. And they had they had a go- we had a good success. But do you know what? I will tell you that actually. There was a significant uh, person at play that prevented us from becoming su- further successful because we were about to make the jump to the UK and um, our manager fell out with another prominent manager and uh, and that was curtains for us. And that really? was literally it. There was stops. Put- I remember there was stops being put in the way very significantly at that time. And that was literally, that was it. We, we could see, I remember we were supporting um, JLS at the point and this significant person found out about it and got tried to get us pulled off the lineup to the point where even on the day we weren't sure if we were going to be performing because they had such a pull so this is what 2010 2009 2010 yeah which is really interesting because if you look at the trajectory of your career and your life let's say it had been a success in the mm. uk uh, or, or further afield for the period yeah where like do you ever reflect on how different how your life become? might have been? Yeah. I think I think I have and I do believe that it would have always led back to what I'm doing now because even when we were in the band like I said the cookbook had come out 2009 was the year and I was 23 the cookbook came out in October we were kind of on the high of the band through the summer We'd had our number ones. We had supported the Pussycat Dolls. We'd had all this great, like... Don't you wish <laughs> your girlfriend was like me? Darren, you could have been the last member oh! of the band. <laughs> but anyway, it was, that, it was that kind of 
really special moment. Oh, you I found just, a little cat. I just found a little cat <laughs> on the a little cut out cardboard cat on the sofa. There you go. Oh, yeah. A reminder of my life. Pussycat <laughs> dogs. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, oh, I see the link now. Pussycat. Bit slow like that, Darren. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, I do think there was, like I said, it was a fork in the road mm. where you know, the band kind of had had the success. The book had come out. It just won uh, Irish Book Award. Never thought that was, I was up against these amazing, um, these amazing other books and I couldn't believe I'd won that award. But it, re- it really gave a lot of substance to what I was doing. And it meant that, you know, it, people kind of noticed it because of that. Um, I remember after I won the award, I went on the Ryan Tuberty show on the radio. And that was where uh, producer David Hare came across me and got in contact. And, you know, it took about a year and a half after that but we were making a cooking show so all of that was happening while the band was happening and I think in lots of ways there was moments where we were in the band and they were all looking at me doing this while they were looking at me doing this while we were um, also doing the band so I think there was sometimes there was moments where I think the guys were wondering where my priorities lay yes yeah. Um, particularly when we were driving we were gigging around the country and I would be like emailing back notes and I'd be working on this book all the while you know while we'd be doing these these gigs that were you know keeping us going Is there a number in your life that you wish you could forget? I think for me 2020 <laughs> I think it's it, a number a lot of us would like to forget yeah. why, why for you? Why was it so tough? Uh, 2020 was definitely the hardest year of our lives um, both myself and Sophie I think I think were a lot of the a lot of the preceding years we had been kind of riding on on this high of like been in LA right we'd been in LA we'd been living there from uh, 2015 just after we got married to 2020 and we had this amazing life in LA we loved the experience over there um like I said like lots of people have a different version of what of what it is but we just loved that that lifestyle I mean you've seen it out there the sunshine you know even at this time of the year in January you still kind of can walk around in a in a a shirt and a trousers without bustling yourself around with a big jacket I always remember with the kids when we moved back like them being assaulted by the sideways wind and rain <laughs> and I'm like going what the hell is it's this it'll toughen them yeah, up I know, it'll I toughen know. them up so definitely you know we had such a lovely time out there but I think you know towards the end of 2019 when Oliver was born we knew we had been talking about moving back for a number of reasons like we I mentioned earlier where the travel was really getting in at me because I was back and forth to Ireland maybe once a month and it I was either preparing to go or I was on the come down from coming back and so it was just this there was no consistency to life so we were having this great moment when I'd be back but then there was always this feeling of like okay I'm back for a couple of weeks and then I have to go back so I think we wanted to find more consistency to life and I knew the answer to that was to come home I don't know that we were necessarily ready to do it when we did. Mm. We were certainly talking about it, but having a newborn moving in what was a bit of a sense of urgency in the pandemic because nobody knew what was going on. And we traveled in a highly stressful time where there was the the two Uber cars who picked us up where the guys were wearing hazmat suits and wow. masks. and it, So like adding to the anxiety and the fear that we already had about even traveling and the guilt actually that you had about traveling during that time was another aspect of it. Like I remember on Instagram, people kind of giving out saying like, what, you know, why would you put your, your family through this? And I was like, I know, I know we have to go home you and I know we have though. to go now. And, you know, COVID pushed that all along. Um, and 2020 then kind of just... It, it unfolded as a really difficult year. My dad, three day, three months into us moving home, um, got cancer, prostate cancer. And 
so we our lifeline our kind of you know because it was 3k 5k or whatever it was at that time our lifeline like just shut down because he couldn't be near us because and my mom subsequently couldn't be near us because they were you know they were uh isolating to a certain extent and that shut things down so what we'd moved home to for that sort of support system with a newborn and a two-year-old three-year-old you know wasn't there um we had no you know we had friends that we had and we have great friends here so that has been uh, that was definitely a big part of helping kind of get through the year um but I would say that like you know where people have kind of (laughs) moved on with their you know their friend groups and things like that we had no new kind of input where we had in LA we'd we'd made these friends and thankfully we did come back to some amazing friends who really saw us through through hard times because with no one says that but like you know with when you're when you're (laughs) you've got a newborn that doesn't sleep through the night not not only do you not want to see people at it that quickly and that often but you also you know your serotonin levels go drop right down you find it really hard to kind of do the things you do and also your consistency in how you approach life really changes and so between that moving home the whole our world was torn torn apart to certain uh, to a certain extent but then i think you know it was it was the makings of where we're at now and you know had we not we were only talking about it this morning you know had had we not gone through that we would not have the understanding of what we wanted and it really did put a focus on things but i think towards the end of the year i do remember filming a tv show and going i actually just can't do this anymore i can't I can't give the energy to what I, I can't basically do the things that make me who I am because the home life aspect of it was tear, was, was such a tear to what I, like I couldn't function, <laughs> which is, you, you know, exhausted. But like I was Jesus. exhausted, you yeah. know, and, and that's, you know, with two of us mm. and, you know, I can only imagine for anyone who, you know, is a single parent or, you know, experiences it in a different way. Like it's really hard and it, it does eat away at you in some ways. And for me, it did kind of, get to a point where I really found it difficult and, you know, elements of depression and anxiety kind of crept in. You know, I've always been a very open and honest proponent of therapy. Mm. And I think actually the most important time for me to do therapy is when I feel I don't need it. Right. And I discovered therapy probably seven years ago. I was going through um, stuff, yeah, going through stuff. Mm. And it wasn't, it's not, I don't believe I've suffered severe bouts of depression Mm. again uh, that's just my feeling on it but it's different for everybody but I was going through a hard time and I discovered uh, this wonderful therapist who I still see now I don't see her as regularly as I did Mm. and she's amazing because I'll sometimes go hey and her name's Rachel and I'll just say hey Rachel um, do you have any time next week and it doesn't matter where in the world I am we'll find the time and we'll have a chat in Zoom and I might be just doing it because I feel like, why not? Yeah. And then all of a sudden something will come up. Right. Or something may not come up. Mm. But I think it's very powerful. And I always think, you know, you look after your body. Mm. You get out for a walk, you go to the gym, you do whatever, you eat healthy food. Your mind is the most powerful and potent part of any of us. Mm. And if you don't tend to that, I think it can be, it can lead to things being difficult. Um, what is the number that changed your life? So the number that changed my life was uh, 20. Okay, why? A 20 euro tip. Oh, I love it. Money! <laughs> Bring on the dollar bills, honey! As you know, when you're, you're when I was like 18, 
20 quid as a tip. I was working as a waiter. Uh, I, I like to joke that I was the head waiter of a restaurant that had like six six tables. <laughs> but I was like, I was the only waiter um, in the uh, Beshoff's Oyster Bar, which now has like a big... Beshoff's? Yeah, no Beshoff's. And they, they, I think Alan down there was kind of trialing the idea of, of kind of serving food. And so they used to do these amazing seafood platters out on the front. And during the summer, it would be in Hoth. It's packed. So like you just get tourists. I remember the tourists would start coming off the first start and it would be carnage and so I did I had like six or seven tables out the front of this and um I was the head waiter, I was the only waiter, and um, I loved it. And like, I was smoothing the I'd customers. Say you're an I waiter. loved it. Loved, loved the it. chat. Yeah, loved yeah, the chat. Yeah. Made sure everyone had what they needed, and uh, rarely like had any major issues. And I was one of the days, one of the very busy days. I was running between other things, and I had been looking after this couple, and um, we'd had great chats. And then he came up to me while I was in the middle of everything else, and he said, "Just stop for a moment. I want to give you this money. I want to give you twenty euro, which." Like most people have tipped like five quid, 10 quid, whatever. But it was, I don't know, tips, got, tips have got better, have they? <laughs> tips have improved. But 20... 20 quid was 20, decent, yeah. you know. And when you're, when you're 18, 19, 20 quid is... This, this is brilliant. Um, but the 20 euro he wanted to give me was not as just money. He wanted... He, he and his wife uh, trained people in NLP, which is neuro-linguistic programming. I had no idea what that was at the time. And I remember just being taken aback by the fact that he had stopped me in my tracks in the middle of what I was doing, said he had never seen someone operate in the way that he had. He said I'd be a perfect candidate for this neuro-linguistic programming and gave me this tip specifically to go and buy this book. He left a little note with the, with the tip. I went into Easton's, bought it the next day. And what was the book? NLP. Uh, I can't remember. There was like some other aspect to it, but uh, any NLP will kind of in, in you know will will allow you to kind of understand it. But it's neuro linguistic programming, and it's about communication, and it's about how we communicate with others, how we can use it to kind of help us in in our daily lives. And one of the big things that I took from it and they, they actually took some really interesting things about like body language about how our eyes are a giveaway of our accessing cues like if if I ask you a question and you think about it but you kind of look up to the sky you're in your mind if you look down you're much more of a gut feeling towards your answers mm-hmm. so it's a really interesting kind of way of of kind of looking at how we communicate and how we approach things Read up there you out. go <laughs> okay we come to our last uh last question about numbers what's the number you check regularly I check my Fitbit score every single morning obsessively. Not about weight. I don't care about weight. I don't care about whatever else. I care about sleep. Uh, <laughs> and I've been a... forced to be caring about sleep. So what does it tell you? It tells you how many hours you've had? tells you how many hours you've had. tells you how like deep your sleep is. tells you how, you know, your sleep quality. Now, I don't know how accurate it is, but I've, I am obsessed with it. And so like, I'll be like, I will go to bed an hour early so that I can get my sleep score. <laughs> oh my God. Is that amazing? Like, we're just so like competitive with ourselves. Yeah. Okay, a couple of quick fire questions to uh, end our little chat. How much is in your wallet right now? I rarely have my wallet with me. I have all my cards on my phone. So I pretty much use my phone. I actually get the same. Yeah, and I get caught out lots of times by not carrying my wallet so yeah I always need to get run to the ATM to get cash I, I hate get my that. haircut yeah oh right so okay my hairdresser. Okay. Uh, what's your favourite time of the day first thing in the morning I feel like I get my best sort of thinking and thoughts around that time of the day what's your favourite number <laughs> my favourite number oh Jesus I was like <laughs> Do you have a favourite number, Donald? I was, I was Donald? look for my cheat sheet yeah. I don't have a favourite number, Darren Okay, that's fair <laughs> enough No problem How many coffees a day do you have? One to two One big one <laughs> What's your guilty pleasure? A tangle twister 
after the kids go down. <laughs> Are you serious? I oh am dead. God. I just got my Dunn's order and a packet of Calippos and a, ca- a packet of Twisters have just arrived to the freezer. I can't wait. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> uh, what does the world need more of? I think it needs more people who love to cook and to and love to eat. Um, what age do you think you lived until? I think I've a, I've a good innings to like late eighties. Uh, and the last one, what's the number that strikes the fear of God in you? The number that strikes the fear of God in me when my wife rings me. <laughs> When I see from that upstairs. Yeah, from upstairs. <laughs> well, Donald, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Best of luck with everything else. Thank you very much. Great to chat to you. Yeah, you too. I really enjoyed that chat with Donald. And I have to say, he is genuinely one of life's good guys. You know, there's just some good people out there. And I feel he is one of them. I want to wish himself and Sophie a massive congratulations. Because since we spoke, they have signed and purchased their first home. A gorgeous little cottage in Hoth, North Dublin. So wishing them many years of happiness there. And if you want to keep up with Donald, you can follow him on his Instagram, at Donald Skeehan. Um, I'm Darren Kennedy. You've been listening to The Number with Darren Kennedy. You can follow me on Instagram at Darren Kennedy Official. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review and a five-star rating. It really does help the podcast grow and for other people to find us. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of the numbers straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care and have a great week.